I said, if you have your Bible, say amen. If you don't have it, say oh me. If you will, hold it in your hand and say, this is my Bible. I have what it says I have. I do what it says I can do. It is the living word of God, and I have received it. I have it all, and I haven't missed a thing. Tonight, a part of it will be set ablaze. I'll never be the same. Tell another one say, I'll never be the same. Find one another and say, you'll never be the same. In Jesus' holy name. And our church said, Amen. And Amen. Good to see Aunt Janice tonight. Amen. Praise the Lord. I just looked up and saw her here. Amen. Good to see her. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to be in Genesis chapter number two this morning. Or this evening. Might as well be this morning. Because I might just preach the morning. How about that? Oh, I hear y'all laughing. At me. You know I could. <laughs> Oh, I don't know if I could hold out to preach from here. To I tell you what, Paul had to have some power from God to preach like he preached all in the middle of the night. He preached and preached so hard, and he was so dull when he got to preaching that the boy fell asleep in the lattice and fell down and broke his neck, and he jumped out there in the middle of the morning and went out there and laid his hands on him and rose him up from the dead and healed his body. Boy, I wish I had the anointing of Paul on my life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Genesis chapter number 2, and you can also find Revelation chapter number 22 tonight. At our last time together, I had been praying and asking the Lord for direction. There just comes a time in your life, and especially in your ministry, you need to be sure that you're where God wants you to be, number one. Number two, that you're hearing God, number three that your time's not being wasted. And number four, you have to search out and try to find out what God has in store, not only for you, but for the folks that he has you leading. So a couple of weeks ago, um, for those of you that haven't heard, I was laying in the bed on Monday night and I was praying. Tina was asleep. Darlene was in her room. All the dogs was asleep. And I began to ask the Lord, Lord, you know, I just need to know. There's been a lot of effort, a lot of study, a lot of time. I just need to know, is your hand still there on us? Are you still preparing something for living water? And as I finished praying, I felt that God heard me. There's times when you pray that you know without a shadow of a doubt that God hears you. And there are other times you're not so sure. But... That night I knew God had spoke to me, and within just a few minutes of that, uh, I turned the television back up a little bit, and on the television is uh, a little um, commercial come on and said, you are in the 11th hour. And I just kind of stuck with me, and the next day as I get up and I go get ready to go to work, I take my cell phone in and I play YouTube, maybe listen to a sermon or the reading of the scripture or whatever, maybe some Bible study, and I don't have ads on my YouTube I want you to understand this. I pay $12 a month so I don't have to have those ads on YouTube. So if I want to hook it up in here, I can hook it up and an ad don't come up. And I don't have ads, but all of a sudden, on my phone, an ad come up. Now, this is just out, out, out of the ordinary because my ad just does not come up. And the first sentence was, you're in the 11th hour, talking about Christmas time. So anytime that God speaks to you, and tells you something or something that happens to you twice. The Bible says God speaks in 
two or three witnesses and a piece of really sin happens three times as God talking for sure just about it. But but if he speaks it sometimes you, you need to be uh, awakened to that. Later on, and I didn't tell y'all this part, later on that day I went on to work and it seemed like every place I went had 11 in the address or I saw 11 on the street or somebody mentioned 11 or the premium I had to collect was 11 or somebody wanted to see this house with uh, 1,100 square feet. So God was getting the point across about the 11, 11th hour. So when God does that and he speaks at least twice, I go and I start praying and I pray into what God is saying. And as I did, uh, the, the Bible in Matthew, Matthew chapter number 20 is where God led me. And y'all know the story. I've talked on that a little bit. And we're going to be referencing that here in our church for a long time. Matthew chapter 20 is the parable of the landowner that owned the vineyard. And it was harvest time. Everybody hold out and say it's harvest time. And the Bible says early in the morning, which is very early, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood about 6 o'clock, he went out to go hire laborers to go to work in the, uh, the, the vineyard so that it could go and reap the harvest. And he began to realize that uh, three hours later that the harvest wasn't coming in fast enough. So he went out at 9 o'clock and he went and he hired some more workers to go to work in the vineyard. And after another three hours, he realized that the harvest wasn't coming in quick enough, so he goes back out at 12 o'clock and he hires more. And at 3 o'clock, he still realizes that the harvest is not coming in quick enough, and the day was getting away from him, so he went out and he hired more. And you would think the mathematical equation of that would be if it started out at 6 and 9 and 12 and 3 every 12 hours, that it would be 6 o'clock that he goes out again and he hires new ones. But 6 o'clock was the ending of the workday, like midnight in our night. And the Bible says in the 11th hour that he went out and he began to recruit people to come in to work in the vineyard. And those people in the 11th hour done just probably as much as those did earlier in the day. And they got the same pay. And I began to realize that that was a prophetic, prophetic parable. That God was saying that there would be five personal and distinct visitations of God himself to his church. I want you to know that four of them has already happened. And one is on the way. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is telling us now that we are in the 11th hour. Amen. So I have preached on that. I've shared with you that the third hour, which was 9 o'clock in the morning, is referenced in Acts chapter number 2 where the disciples was in the upper room or the temple play, wherever it may be, you just want to put them at. And suddenly a sound from heaven came like a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house where they were sitting. And all of a sudden the, the um, fire appeared and the fire walked through each and every one of them and baptized them in the Holy Ghost. And we know that visitation of God grew the church in one day some 3,000%. And then we know that the, the ninth hour, when you go looking in the Bible and you pray through that, you see Jesus going into the nation of Samaria and sitting beside of the well. And the woman come in, and he began to give her a revelation of worship, a revelation of worship. And in that visitation in the ninth hour, God began to give a revelation of worship to his church. That's already happened. And then in the... Uh, the hour that goes on in the 3 o'clock hour, we'll get into that there. That goes into Acts chapter number 4. And Acts chapter number 4 is when Paul and, uh, was walking into 
the temple and at the gates of beautiful. There was a man lame, and he said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I give unto thee. Rise up in the name of Jesus Christ and walk. And the man jumped up and began to walk and went through. And from that time, healing began to be in a movement. So we have had the movement of the power of the Holy Spirit that God has visited the church with. We have had the revelation of worship that God has shown the church in a visitation. And we've also seen the healing revival through Royal Robertson, several men, John Lake, many of those people that come about in the 60s and the 70s, Kenneth Hagin, all of them. God has already visited the church that many times. So I am anticipating that if we are in the 11th hour, Thelma, that God is about to do something in the 11th hour that uh, is going to combine. If you notice then that's that parable, the people that were in the 11th hour got everything that the people that were in the early morning hour, the people that were in the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, they got everything that they had got earlier in the day. So I believe that what's going to happen in the next little while in the church is that every movement, anointing, and power of God is going to show up in the church. And when it does so, it's got to happen. It's got to happen, first of all, to clean the church up. Second of all, it's got to do that to get the harvest because there's a lot of people out there that are hurting, that are, are literally hungry for hearing the truth of Almighty God. Amen? So as God has carried me that way, God has carried me through a revelation here that starts in the first couple of chapters in Genesis, and it goes all the way through Revelation to show the movement of God. And it is my intention, if the Holy Spirit will lead me through the rest of 2024 until he tells me to go differently, to explain these visitations and what happens in these visitations. I want you to understand, although the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour visitations already took place, it does not mean that they're over with. Let the church say amen. We still can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Would you say amen? We still can be healed in the name of Jesus. Amen. We can still enter into a realm of worship in a new dimension than we've ever been before in our life. Someone shout out and say amen. So it's still available to you today, but now God is wanting to bring a brand new anointing into the church, an anointing that the church has never seen. It's a conglomerated anointing of every anointing, the Old Testament anointing, all the anointings in the Old Testament of the prophets, all the anointing of the Old Testament of the kings, all the anointing of the priest in the Old Testament, and the anointing of the Old Covenant and the anointing of the New Covenant join it together, and the former rain and the latter rain come down upon us in one month and in one certain time. And the word of God began to reap the harvest that is out here for the world today. There's a lot of people that are ready for and right for the picking. Would you say amen? And God begins to carry us today. And this is a, another opening of where God wants me to go forward here tonight. I don't know how far I'll get tonight, but this is the opening. It's going to be really hard because when you begin to speak in series in the church, when people don't attend church, it's hard on those that attend church every service because you're coming wanting more. And I have to try to get everybody on the same page. So you're going to hear things over and over and over again. So don't get bored. So smile at that beside and say, don't get bored. And God, God wants us all on the same page. The only way we're going to get what God has got ready for us is for all of us to get on the right page. Amen. So we need to get a hold of our brothers and sisters and say, hey, look, God is doing something in the church. You need to be here. You need to be here, and you need to be sure. If you're not here, listen to what is shared out. Uh, next month, I will be putting this back on Facebook one more time, and uh, I'm going to put it back out there for our church. Hopefully, we won't get blocked this time. I'm working on getting it on YouTube and a couple other places. 
and all of that. I also want you to know my podcast was ranked number 10 in the world for our section of religion, Christianity, on Anchor FM and on Spotify. So give God a good hand clap of praise on that. Number 10. But an average of 18,000 people that listen to our service, every service that we put it out there. 18,000. Boy, that's something to think about. Amen. Genesis chapter number 2, verse 4 through 7. If you have your Bible tonight, say amen. We are still talking about the 11th hour visitation of God. We are in part 1 of that, verse number 4. And it says, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth. When they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I want you to, in, in, in that scripture, I want you to go back to verse 5, and I want you to underline or circle the statement that it says that God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And maybe put a star or something by the little the phrase that says, and there was not a man to till the ground. But my subject tonight comes from the sixth verse, which it says there went up a mist from the earth that watered the whole face of the ground. We're going to be concentrating upon the mist here a little bit tonight. Now, if you have Genesis chapter number 2, flip over real quick to Revelation chapter 22. That's the last chapter in the Bible, so I'm, I'm going to make it easy on you tonight. You can look in the first couple of chapters of the Bible and the last chapter, so... You shouldn't have any problem finding that. Someone say amen. And if you have any problem finding it, me and you will have a little talk after church. Amen. amen. Revelation chapter 22, verse number 1 through 5. If our church has that, say amen. amen. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Underline that. A pure river of water of life. Clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either, either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manners of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healings of the nations. I am feeling my Holy Spirit, the Spirit inside of me turning over right now. And there shall be no more curse. Let us say amen. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither the light of the, of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. And he saith unto me, These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show unto us his service, the things which must be shortly, which must shortly be done. Amen. I love that. Amen. Praise the Lord. A river of life. And each side of the river, there's the tree of life. And there's 12 manners of fruits on those trees. And the leaves of those trees are for the healings of the nations. 
isn't it, and I've never really noticed this, but I began to see the Holy Spirit speaking to me that the Bible opens with a mist on the face of the ground, but it actually ends and closes with a river of life flowing through the ground. And as I began to study what mist and river symbolizes in the scripture, mist symbolizes in the scripture sustenance, sustenance. When you really look at that, that word and you carry it down and you really study it in the Hebrew, you begin to see that the word mist not only just means sustenance, but it means just enough to get by. Just enough to get by. And the river, when you begin to study that, it represents abundance. Everybody can be blessed by a river. Amen. A life of abundance is the life that God intends for man to have here on this earth. When he originally created man, he intended for man to have a life of abundance. And if you're not living in the life of abundance, then we are not living in the intention that God had in our life. So these two passages that I've selected tonight, they record to you the beginning of mankind and also the final destiny that God has planned for his creation. Man, from the time that Adam's sin has been in a constant failed state. And during that span of time, they have failed God over and over again by not obeying him, by not hearing his word. But during that time, God has continually reached out to his, his creation over and over and over again. God has always been ready to lift man up again. And to move him beyond just the experience of having just enough and move him into the life-giving waters of the river of life and to live a life of abundance. So God is constantly reaching out to us to get to where we need to be. So the whole story of the Bible is to move man from a life of just sustenance or just enough to get by to where man will be blessed in pure abundance. How many of you would love to have some abundance from the Lord in 2024? Would you say amen? amen? Now, if a man obeyed God in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, they enjoyed the presence of God. They enjoyed the blessings of God. They enjoyed the deliverance of God. They enjoyed God fighting for him and for them. But if they were disobedient to God, they experienced God's displeasure. And we don't, we, we don't hear that preached a lot in the church today. If people are disobedient to God, we are going to experience God's displeasure. It's not that he does it because he hates you. It's not that he does it to hurt you. He's doing it to try to help you. When God shows that he is not in pleasure with you, you're not in an alignment with him, he's letting us know that there's something that's wrong and is preventing us from walking in the life of abundance that he has set up and he intended us to live in. So if we will obey God, the Bible tells us that we will experience the blessings and the presence of God in our life. And when God is present, there is no sickness. Let the church say amen. When God is present, there is no lack. Would you say amen? And if God is present, God is always on the throne. And every place you go and everywhere you go, everything will fall under your control and you will live your life in dominion. But if you are in disobedience to God in any way, shape, or form, God will express his displeasure. But in expressing his displeasure, he is expressing his love and his mercy and his grace because he is constantly reaching out to us to try to bring us into the life of abundance that he wants us to have. 
There has been a promise of revival from the beginning of time all the way through to the end of the Bible, and it will always be there. It's always been there. It's there right now. It'll always be there. We can have revival any time we really want to have revival. Amen? There is some things and some requirements that we must do to have revival. So, 2024 here at Living Water Worship Center is going to be about moving from just having just enough. I'm tired of just enough, ain't you? I'm tired of just enough tithe payers to pay the bills. I'm tired of just enough people to have a worship service. I'm tired of just enough people to be able to preach to. I'm tired of just enough of the power of God in our life to keep us coming into the church every week. I want God to move living water into the river of the revival where we can live in abundance, where we can literally in our life experience God's blessing and his abundance on a daily basis. And not just one of us, I want God to do that in every one of our lives. Amen. So all of us would agree as we look out in the world today that there is a lot and a great amount of spiritual apathy that is out in the world today. But truthfully, when we really look at the church, it's even worse in the church than it is in the world. Spiritual apathy is the characterization of our nation today because it is the characterization of the church today. I just want to share with you some things. How many of you remember September the 11th of twenty? 2001. How many remember that day? Amen. We won't never forget it. They say we will never forget it. Some 30, some hundred people died on that day in a terrorist attack on the United States of America. And as I was a preacher at that point in time, I had actually went through an injury at that point. So I wasn't in church as often as I could be, but I could remember, or I could have been in the past. But as I got to church, I began to see in the few weeks after September 11th that the church pews was full. I began to see people that were coming back to the church that hadn't been to the church in five or six years. I began to see things happen in the nation. It seemed like that there was going to be a national revival that was ensuing on the United States of America because people were out in the middle of the streets in New York City and in Los Angeles and Seattle, Washington, Chicago, Illinois, and down in Austin, Texas, down in Mississippi and all these areas in Atlanta, Georgia, and they were praying in the streets of our cities. How many remember that? It was going on. How many remember that congressmen had no problem standing up on national television and, uh, and speaking the word of Almighty God and calling upon God in our governmental institutions? In fact, the leaders of Congress, Tom Daschle, got up and spoke and, and read scripture after the time, and we were not scared to bring God back into our institutions after September 11th. And there wasn't any civil liberty groups that were standing up and declaring and barking that, that we should have separation of church and state when we were having major issues at that point in time oh they were ready for the church to be part of the state at that point in time amen I also remember how many remember watching television and seeing school children all around the world going to their auditoriums, getting together in the morning and having chapel services and praying for the families and praying for the world. You see, God was invading the United States of America. I remember Billy Graham and President Bush went to the National Cathedral and they were up there and they declared a national day of prayer. And churches everywhere was getting together and having weeks of prayer and months of prayer. And church attendance rose some 55% in three weeks. Man, I thought a revival was coming. I tell you what, if church attendance in here just rose 55% in about three weeks, boy, I believe we've been doing something right, wouldn't you? Amen. How many get excited if people started coming to the church like that again? Amen. But in just a few months, it was right back like it was before. 
people quit coming. And they can't quit coming. People quit supporting the church. Then all of a sudden, God spoke again, and in 2020, he shut down the whole world just like a village. He shut down all the sports entertainment. He shut down everything. He shut down the, the cinemas. He shut down every place. Shut down the bars where you couldn't go and have a good time. Everything shut down. The church even shut down. The church moved online, and millions died during 2020. Families, my family, was changed forever. Your jobs was changed forever. Companies was changed forever. Leaders of companies died. Churches were forever changed by the pandemic. Our church was forever changed. I preached 27 funerals within three months. We lost a lot of members during that point in time, and a lot of family members at that time. And you would think, Aunt Janice, after all that subsided and all that came down, that folks would run back to the church when church was opened back up. Wouldn't you? Would you say amen? Yeah. But do you realize today, according to Barna Research, that church attendance is down 85% since 2020. So it ain't just living water that people ain't coming to church. It's every church. 85% according to the last statistical survey that they've done since 2020, 85% says that they don't go to their church anymore, that they listen to their services online, and they ask, when he them went to church and they said, ask them if they were even going to go to church on Christmas, and out of that, out of the 85%, they said that 74% said they were not even going to church on Christmas. You would think that people would look at things with families change, with churches change, companies change, the nations change. When the church has changed forever by death after death, people that died early, you would think that people in the family at least would listen to God and say, hey, God, what are you trying to tell me? Would you not? Amen. Yeah. But they're not doing so. And as you look at what's happening since that point in time, there's major legal battles going on right now. And they're out there again raging. And they're wanting to separate church from state. They want to keep the Christians out of your, your children's life. They're doing everything they possibly can to keep God out of people's life. They have so they went up and right now they're fighting in the state houses of our land right now to remove the Ten Commandments out of the state houses. And we've already removed it out of many of our government institutions that there is in Washington, D.C. And the church started ordaining homosexuals. And here's the bad thing about it. The Episcopal Church just ordained their first gay bishop. Now, in the Episcopal Church, you must understand that if you are a bishop in the Episcopal Church, you are over at least 100 churches, and you can be over at least 1,000 churches. And this particular gay bishop now is over 895 churches. Sexual promiscuity now is rampant. You can't hardly even turn the television on without seeing something sexual in your eyes. Hollywood has literally become a pipeline of moral sludge as it's pulled into our life. And worldliness and compromise now has come in and plagued the church. And now the Christians at one time that fought and stood and fought for the church is now saying, well, the church building is not needed anymore as long as I can get my fix offline. I don't have to be associated with anybody I can still say I'm a Christian and I still serve the Lord. 
problem is with that, we all here tonight would say that there's a problem with that, will we not? Amen. But the truth of the matter is, is the majority of the people in the church has just accepted it instead of repelling it. We've let people say and do what they want to do, when they want to do it, how they want to do it. We have let people say, well, I ain't going to church no more, not challenge them anymore. We don't repel them anymore. We just accepted it, that that's just the way it is. Theological foundations and standards are literally challenged by a new paradigm of success in the church. And there are carnal-driven preachers that are standing before the congregation right now and things that have long been non-negotiable in doctrine has now been diluted and literally embraced as a generic and a doctrinal paradigm. And now things that was not allowed in the church even 10 years ago are now being allowed in the church. It used to be if you were living together, then the preacher would have a long talk with you, and if you didn't straighten up, you were put out of the church. It used to be that if you were caught downtown in places you shouldn't be, and if you were confronted by the preacher, the preacher had the authority to go to talk to you, especially if you were associated with the church, and demand that you live a life that was holy. And if you didn't choose to do it, they would stop you from coming to church. It happened in my early years. I can remember. But as time has went on, the churches began to get easy on that, and we've accepted this moral sludge in the church. And now when people walk in, the majority of the churches there is in the world is no different than walking into a nightclub. And I believe that when you come into the church, you must come into a place that the people that are coming to the church and really looking for God, they are looking for something different than what they can find out in the world. I can go to any nightclub and I can see a laser light show and I can have a good band play to me and I can be sitting out there in darkness on the dance floor. I can enjoy all that there out in the world. I want to come somewhere in the house of God where something is different and I know when I left that something touched me and something changed my life and gave me enough of power to face what's out there. Amen. Over half of ordained preachers no longer believe, according to Barn Research, that there is a burning hell. And 85% that are in the pastorship right now does not preach it and has not preached it in the last five years that there is a hell because it will offend somebody. We're in a tough time, amen. The deity of Christ is now not the only way you can get to heaven for the majority of churches. In fact, the fastest growing religion in the United States of America right now is called Chrislam. Chrislam is an indoctrination and an emerging of Islam and Christianity where one half of the service they read out of the King James Version of the Bible and the other half they preach out of the Islamic Bible, the Korea. And preachers preach to each people and they have joined this religion together. And divine healing now is not even believed in, in most of the churches that there is out in the world today. And the baptism of the Holy Ghost, boys, start speaking in tongues and you are nothing more than a lunatic. Oh, help me, Jesus. Am I talking to anybody tonight? Amen. And now the rapture has been discarded. You don't hear it preach much. We don't know and don't hear that the time is short. And they have heard it all their life. we got people in our church right now, 50 years old, 60 years old. They have heard that Jesus is coming all their life, and they have become immune to that thing. So now when you stand up and you begin to preach, it's it's got the attitude, well, I've heard that all of my life, and I ain't never seen anything happen, and it just ain't going to happen. But let me share something with you. We are in the last of the last days. Jesus is fixing to split the eastern skies in my lifetime. 
I am not going to die before he comes. I believe it is that close. He is even at the door. I believe he's knocking at the door right now to step out. There ain't a thing that's got to happen in the world today for Jesus to come back. And there ain't nothing that's got to happen in the world for him to come and carry his children home. And I want to be ready. And in that number, when he says, come up here, I want to be able to join him up there. Amen. Now, there's always been seasons when men would go to God and they'd go back to him and in their emotions, they'll go to God and they'll tell God that they're sorry. Or, or if there's a crisis, they'll run to God in crisis repentance and they'll turn their emotions to God. But the problem is their heart does not follow them. Because the minute that there's something happens that ain't right, they wind up losing what they thought they had. I have seen so many false conversions not only in this church, but in the church itself, there's been so many false conversions where people emotionally respond to God, but their heart is not in it. And because of that, the minute there's a problem in their life, you don't see them anymore. Amen. Man is much like Pharaoh out there in the world today. He's trying to compromise with God to try to get God's word diluted down to where he can literally get what he wants from God, holding on to God with one hand and holding on to the world with the other hand. And what happens is, is it makes the person's heart hard like Pharaoh's with, was. And when the outside pressure of conviction begins to come on them and lets up, then they let up themselves and they leave the house of God again. It's an overflowing thing. Happens all the time. Literally what I'm saying here tonight, Jackie, is the church needs authentic revival. Our church needs a true revival. The moral condition of our nation and the spiritual condition of God's church right now demand more than what we have been defining revival to be. We think that revival is calling on a great speaker, bringing them in, one that can prophesy, one that, and bring them in and let them preach the word of God and have that there maybe two times a year and we have good music and invite these people to come and that's a revival. But let me share something other with you. That ain't got nothing to do with revival. Revival is when God breathes a brand new breath of life into you and you literally move from just enough to get by do you walk into the life of abundance of God and under his blessing and the world sees it and wants a part of it? So tonight, before I can explain to you what revival truly is, I need you to tell you what revival really is not. Revival is not just mere change. It's not just a change in philosophy. It's not just a change in mythology. It's not just a change in your worship style. That's not revival. You can call it renewal all you want to, but it's not. It's more than just having people come into the church. I would rather pastor 30 people that has the very hearts of the Holy Ghost on the inside of them and a heart to serve God and give their whole life to God. I'd rather pastor 30 than the pastor 30,000 that don't have it. I'd rather deal with that there because it's not just about the way you worship. It's not about how many people are coming to the church. It's not about all the furious activity that the church is putting on revival. It's not about a surface change in structure like so many has went through. And I got to call it out. I know people don't like me to do it, but I got to do it. There is a seeker-sensitive movement that's going on called the Purpose Driven Church. And there is one in this town that is destroying this town. And we need to pray that out of this neighborhood because it's killing the church. It's a seeker-sensitive deal where you give the people what they want. You give them the music. They want the color. They want the smoke screen. They want the, the atmosphere that they want and the activities that their children want. I want to share with you what we need is Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus back in the house of God again. 
It's time to preach the word like it's supposed to be. Revival is not just altering a worship service. It's not just going out and removing the pulpit and placing a stool there like so many has done. You see, there's a reason why there's not a pulpit in some people's churches. You need to ask God to let you see why it is that the people you're listening to on television is preaching from a stool. There's a something about the pulpit. You need to have the honor of being behind a pulpit. You need to have the authority of being behind a pulpit. You, the pulpit gives you an idea that that person paid the price and paid the dues to be behind that pulpit and to preach the word of Almighty God. The pulpit causes people to give respect to them. When they don't see the pulpit and all they see is a stool, they feel like that you are on the level with them and that you don't have nothing to give them and all they're going to do is agree with you in notion and emotion, but the heart is never going to be with them. But Jesus, when he stood up, to preach he found the scroll and rolled it out in front of a pulpit and he said this day has the word of God been fulfilled in your ears there's a difference behind a pulpit when I have a preacher preach it amen so many men have removed that pulpit brought in that little stool canceled Sunday school and they call it renewal they call it revival oh we've had a revival we got a bunch of people sitting in the church right now. They're having an 8 o'clock service, 10 o'clock service. And nobody's teaching them anything. Think about something. You see that there was a nursery class. There was an elementary class. There was a primary class. There was a young adult class. There was a young married class. There was a women's class. There was a men's class. And then there was a senior adult class. There was like 12 classes in the church. How many of you remember that? Now all you do is you come into church and you hear the preacher preach. Common sense should tell you it should be more than just one. Jesus gathered 12 people around him to preach the gospel. Our church needs 12 bona fide ministries that is working and working and performing what it needs to perform. We need to have people that can minister to you in your finances. We need to have people that can minister to you in your spiritual condition. We need to have people that can minister to you in your relationships. We need to have people that can minister to your children. We need to have people that can minister. Not give them something to do in a furious activity. Give them something that is life changing and life everlasting and they can hold on to it. It'll change their life. We need to get people more involved in the church services and everything else. We used to have a choir in the church. Now it's down to one or two people singing and in living water it's down to one sometimes. It's time for us to rise up and get into the fact to realize that this ain't renewal. We need a revival in the house of Almighty God. Can I preach just a few minutes? Amen. When God began to show me this, he said, it's just like David was. I said, oh my gracious Lord. David was a mighty man of God. He was a priest. He was a prophet. He was a king. He said, you're missing the story. And I began to study David a little bit, and I began to remind when David decided that he was going to go get the Ark of the Covenant, David said, I'm going to do something brand new. I'm going to go out and do something brand new. I'm going to go get me some brand new carts. I'm going to get me some brand new wheels. I'm going to find me some strong oxen. I'm going to go get me the very best musicians that there is. I'm going to get me the very best dancers that there is in the state of Israel. I'm going to go and I'm going to have a regal paraphernalia. I'm going to line up the street from where I'm going to get it at and have a parade all the way through. And we're going to have a great time bringing the presence of God back to Israel. And everything was working good until they hit the first bump in the road. And when they hit the first bump in the road, all hell broke loose. 
It had the revival look, Janice. It had the revival look. It had the publicity to draw a crowd. But when you really got down to it, all those efforts was doomed from the start because it was not done according to the Word. The Bible shares with us that David did not consult the Word of God to find out how the ark was supposed to be moved. And I believe that what's going on in the houses of God today, and still, notice what I'm saying, there's still the house of God. I just believe that the devil is infuriated. I believe that right now what's going on in the house of God is we've got everybody that has looked at things and not consulted the Word of God like David, and everything seems to go good until there's a big jump, a stump in, a, in the road, a, a, a bump in the road, and then when when that happens, all hell breaks loose. Mm -hmm. David didn't consult the Word of God. Mm -hmm. He didn't instruct the people the holy matters before them. He didn't tell them how precious the presence of God was. He didn't instruct them and say, if you get too close in your situation, you're going to die. He didn't teach them. And he enlisted a new method of moving that ark by observing the practice of the Pharisees and how they had moved everything. I'm sorry, the Philistines and how they had moved things around. So he goes and gets a Philistine cart to put the holy ark of God on and mixes one religion into another and thinks God's going to bless it. It didn't happen. You know what happened? The boy touched it and he died immediately. It was a good thing to move the presence of God, but it wasn't a God thing. And there's a lot of good things going on in the church today, but there are a whole lot of God things going on in the church today. Amen. When that first bump hit in the road and arose, the revival was over. And that's just like it is with people today in the church. They come in with all the fanfare. They come in, oh, I'm going to get my heart right with the Lord. I need the church to help me. I want to serve right. I want to do this. But let it get down to the brass tacks of performing what thus saith the word of God. And they'll find them another place to go. They don't want to hear somebody preach the word of God and hold them accountable. They don't want to hear somebody preach the word of God and be unadulterated and not hold favorites over others and tell exactly how the word of God is. They don't want to hear none of that. They'll go out somewhere else because there is somebody out there that will tickle your ears if you go out there to hear them. Amen. Too often our effort that we put out to bring revival in our life has to be aborted simply because it was built on a weak and a faulty foundation. And what the Spirit of God is telling me is that what is being built in the house of God right now is built on a weak and a faulty foundation. David learned his lesson, though, and I pray that we'll learn our lesson. David learned that a strong desire, although that's a powerful force, is not enough to produce revival. Just because Thelma wants us to have revival don't mean we're going to have it. Just because Kip Nance wants you to have revival don't mean you're going to have it. Just because Nick coming to the church every service don't mean we're going to have revival. Because the truth of the matter is, Thelma, listen real good. Without a revival, without a revived people, fully in tune with the Word of God and what the Word of God says, the acts of trying to move the ark of God's presence is an exercise in futility. Mm -hmm. Don't matter how much we want to do it, don't matter what program we put in play. 
It don't matter what we event we broadcast. It don't matter what we put on the wall. It don't matter how many times we change the music. It don't matter how many times we go buy brand new sounds. It don't matter if we buy 50 buses. Without the people being revived and fully in tune with the Word of God, then everything is literally futile. It's all vanity of vanities. So revival is not just change. And revival is not just recounting the past and how it used to be in the past. We've had people that's coming to our church and we've had people going to other churches and we recount the past. Oh, how it used to be back then. And they start reenacting the past and they try to recapture what's going on in the past. They want to recapture a past encounter that they felt somewhere over in Oklahoma in 1925. And that was a wonderful move of God, but that was for 1925. That is not for today. I want you to understand God has a relevant move of the Holy Ghost for this church and for this current time for 2024. And the move that God wants to do is the move that is needed in 2024 and is needed to be implemented in every house of his kingdom. And this church is going to endeavor to try to get there to where we can go to do it. Amen. The church here today should be stepping from glory to glory, ascending higher and higher into experience with God. But we are not doing so because we want to bring back things from the past. We want to bring back things this way. We want to recount the past and talk about how great it was when Grandma came to church. But my God told me in Isaiah 43, 19, he said, Behold, I do a brand new thing. I believe God is ready to do a brand new thing. In that same verse, he said, I'm going to make a road out in the wilderness. And then he says, I'm going to make a river in the desert. In other words, God can change the atmosphere right now. It don't matter how bad it looks. God can make a way through the desert that's trying to keep the church from getting to where it needs to get. And I believe that God can make a river when we need a river in the past. I believe God can still take the church from the midst and the sustenance of just enough to get by and baptize them once again in the river of the flowing of life, of the abundance and the blessing of Almighty God. And if you believe that tonight, someone shout out and say amen. amen. God is doing a brand new thing and he's calling our church to be a part of it. God right now is changing the wilderness and he's changing the atmosphere around it. God right now is putting a river in your dry places and God is using us and going to use us in the future to get that accomplished. And I believe that when Peter spoke in Acts chapter number 2, he said this is the beginning of what the prophet Joel spoke of and he said that the Spirit of God was going to be poured out upon all flesh. I want you to know that was the beginning of it and now God is ready to bring it to fruition and bring it to a climax and he wants to bring everything that was happening back in the third hour and the sixth hour and the ninth hour and at six o'clock in the morning in the Old Testament and bring it all into a convergence so that we can have a revival like we've never had before in our church. Amen. Amen. Revival also is not just a response to a plan. Well, I can sit down here tonight and I can plan out a revival. I can sit here and say, okay, we're going to have a revival in May, and we're going to have a revival in August. And I can sit here and I can call people, you know, all this stuff. But that planning will not bring revival to this church. The only thing that's going to bring revival to this church is the hunger of God's people. Ask your neighbor tonight, say, are you really hungry? Ask another one tonight, say, are you really hungry? Do you have that type of hunter that produces the obedience to God's word? Do you have that type of hunger that causes you to consistently be in prayer? 
Do you have that kind of hunger that causes you to be honest in your confession? Honest when you tell someone, hey, this is what's wrong with me. Do you have that type of hunger where there is sincere repentance in your life? Do you have that type of hunger, hunger in your life that causes you to want to live holy? That is the only hunger that is going to bring revival. That's the only thing that's going to bring revival to Living Water Worship Center. Sadly, our church is not hungry. As a whole, we are not hungry. There's a few that are, but as a whole, we're not hungry. Because the first bump that hits in the road, everybody's gone. But when you're hungry, it don't matter if you bump over and you roll over Tina. It don't matter if, 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 if you're hungry, if you roll over Thelma. If you're hungry, you're going to stay in the place. If you know that food is being served at McDonald's and you're hungry and they're going to give it away from you, you're going to stay at McDonald's till they start bringing the hamburgers out. Amen. Now, I can load up a million hamburgers and throw them in the back of a transfer truck and pull them out there in the yard and tell you they're there and they're yours and you can go get them if you want to, but if you choose not to go get them, then they ain't your, they ain't going to be yours and you ain't never going to use them and you ain't going to get the benefit out of them. Yeah. Smile at somebody and ask them, say, are you really hungry? Yeah. Heavenly Father, I pray that this church will finally mm-hmm. get hungry. I realize and I understand as I close out 2023 here that we're not hungry. God, and I pray, Lord God, that this church will get so hungry that we'll start obeying the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that we'll get so hungry that we'll be consistent in our prayer life and we'll not only pray, but we'll fast without being asked. I pray, Lord God, that we'll honestly be who we are and confess things that's wrong with us and have sincere repentance in our life. I pray, Lord, that we'll be that catalyst of revival where we are living a holy life because of our hunger. I submit that to you tonight and I lay it upon your altar and I ask you, Lord, to have your way. So I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what's got to be done? What's got to be done? Because the truth of the matter is your preacher preached about church attendance for two years and it ain't helped none. Your preacher's preached about healing it ain't helped none. Your preacher's preached about the blessing of the Lord it ain't helped none. Your preacher's preached about unity it ain't helped none. What's it going to take to get people to the point? And I said, Lord, what's it going to do? What's going to happen? Is people going to have to continually die? What's going to happen, Lord? And God said, there's a pattern in the Bible for my presence and my revival, and it has never changed. And he gave it to me. I wrote it down, and I wrote down here. I said, God's pattern to revival is to return, repent, remove, and receive. Return, repent, remove, and receive. And I said, Lord, I need some scripture to be able to, to use this as a foundation so I can speak to my people and he said, well, it's very simple, brother. Very simple, my son. Go to Second Kings chapter 22 and 23. He said the pattern's right there. So tonight, I want to invite you to go and look at Second Kings chapter 22 and verse 23, because, and chapter 23, because that is where God's pattern for revival is at, where you actually return, repent, remove, and receive. 
There in 2 Kings chapter 24, 4 and 6, they went in and they restored the temple until the church turns their attention and their focus back into the temple and restored the church to what it used to be. We're not going to revival until we cut off the online stuff and have people not satisfied to sit at the house on their couch and watch church, but have to be in the church. It's not going to happen. In 2 Kings 22, 8 through 10, they discovered a, a new scroll of the Word of God and they carried it and had it read out to the people and the people obeyed the Lord, the Lord and the Word of God. And when people began to hear the Word of God and rediscover the Word of God and start obeying the Word of God, that's when God's presence will start to come back into the church. In 2 Kings 22, 11, they heard the word of the Lord and repentance set in on the whole nation. The king repented. And when the king repented, the nation began to repent. And as you go into 2 Kings chapter 23, you find that the nation's leaders then started to repent. And then in verse number 4 through 20 of the same chapter, you find out that the next thing that they did is they went out and they started removing the idols out of the nation. The devil's removing the statues of our great history out of the United States of America. He's playing the same program, just in counter-reverse. And Jesus said the very same thing to the seven churches over in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 3, he told them, he said, If you'll return, if you'll come to me, do your own works again, if you'll strengthen the things that remain, if you'll return to me, you'll repent, and you'll remove what is literally against what I'm trying to do, I'll allow you to receive. I want to share with this church tonight as I try to close that revival is a sovereign move of God. It is God that is in control of revival. God will only let it rain when there is a man to be able to plow the field. God will only bring people in this church when there are people hungry enough to reach out to people and try to help them. God will only bring people in this church when this church gets together in unity and we began to hunt for the lost souls in the world. Am I preaching all right tonight? Someone say amen. amen. God is uh, in control sovereignly of the revival and when a revival from God's spirit comes, he's going to breathe his breath into man and when he breathes his breath into man, then everything that is spiritually dead is made alive. So revival is when everything in your life that is spiritually dead is made alive again. Smile at your neighbor tonight and ask him, say, are you really hungry? But it only comes in response to man's intercession. It only comes when man begins to forsake sin. When we quit condoning sin. Hear me. You've got to hear this. We cannot keep condoning sin. Oh, you all right. You just, you coming to church, you all right. No, we got to start standing up for our God. It only happens when man is interceding and when man begins to forsake sin, when we stop condoning sin and when we start pursuing a life of holiness and we want everyone else to move in that holiness and we have a tenacity of the faith to believe that if we do all this, God's glory is going to show up in our life. And then the word of God can be preached to the bones like it did in Ezekiel chapter number 37 to all apart. And the word of God will start bringing the bones in unity one more time and the revival will begin to bring us into 
unity and not only bring us into unity but strengthen the body that we've got in us and then God will begin to cover us one more time with his precious anointing and when he preaches us he covers us with his precious anointing then he will blow his breath on us and then we'll rise up like an army that God wanted us to be and only then will we be ready for the 11th hour visitation of God Turn to your neighbor as I close it out, look at him and say, this is the 11th hour. I hope that by the time I finish this up, Lord, that everyone can see what you're trying to accomplish. Heavenly Father, take this word tonight. Bind it upon our heart. Put it around our finger, Lord God. Keep it ever before our eyes. Keep it on our neck. Write it up on our foreheads. Write it in the tablets of our heart. Father, for us to turn to you because we know that time is short. And God, you're about to visit the church. And I give you the glory and the praise for it all. Go with us and lead God and direct us. Bring us back in unity. And as we embark upon this brand new year, Lord God, let you be at the forefront of everything that we do and everything that we accomplish and everything we try to accomplish through you. Father, we open up living water unto your Holy Spirit, unto your holy angels for revival in this church. Let every person that walks in this door of this church be convicted with the power of Almighty God to the point to where their hunger will turn their life completely around and they will begin to receive what you have for them in the river of abundance in their life. Thank you, Lord, that we're going to get disgusted with having just the midst of God and sustenance having just enough. We're going to desire the river of life and the blessings and the anointing and abundance of the Holy Ghost in our life. And I'll give you the praise and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, and our church said amen. amen. As I leave you tonight, I want you to hear me. The 11th hour visitation of God is a combination of everything in that scripture. Every anointing. The anointing that was on Abraham, the anointing that was on Moses, the anointing that was on Aaron, the anointing that was on Joshua, the anointing that was on Gideon, the anointing that was on Solomon, the anointing that was on David, the anointing that was on Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Nahum and all of the minor prophets and the anointing that was on Jesus and the anointing that was on the apostles and all the moves of the mighty Holy Spirit and the healing power of God and how he went out and evangelized and nations came unto God and nations fell under the presence of God. That 11th hour visitation of the Lord that is the next thing on God's calendar before the rapture, I want you to understand that's at the door and that one event is going to change church like you've never seen it before in your life and I pray living water will be a part of it. And if you want it to be, I want you to pray for me. Amen. Will you? Will you pray for me? Pray that the Lord just put so much wisdom and knowledge on the inside of me that I'll listen to the Holy Spirit and that we'll get this church on even till when people's hunger is literally driving them, when they when they got the hunger inside of them, that the Spirit will grab a hold of them and say, well, the church you need to go to is down yonder and not send them to some of these seeker-sensitive churches. They ain't going to do nothing but hurt them. Let's get the glory of God in this house so we can change not only our family, not only our town, but let's change our nation. Can you say amen? Smile at your neighbor as you leave and say, are you really hungry? Because we're getting ready for the 11th hour visitation. Thank God for y'all coming. I hope you have a wonderful new year. I'll see you Sunday morning. And I hope that you'll come in ready to worship the Lord, ready to shout with a glory on you and a shining on you, smiling a little bit, making everybody happy. And let's get everybody that's been laying out of church, let's get them back into the church. Amen. Smile at somebody say, I love you. I'll see you next time. Hug a neck, shake a hand. God bless you. You are dismissed.
Your preacher didn't preach but an hour, but he's happy. Amen.